Jesse Chase on with Lisa Blanchard as the host of Airing Addiction. I share often my journey started on this campus. Got sober as a client here, just like you. Really do see phenomenal change. Always hope. I've seen situations that on the surface look impossible become possible. Doing this podcast is to share those recovery stories, be honest about what the challenges are and have some real conversations, but kind of share that out on the, the airwaves. Welcome to Real Talk TV. My name is Darrell Buchanan, your host. Today I have a good show, but before I get to that, I'd like to give a couple shout outs. I'd like to give a shout out to the Leaving Street Ministries. My friends Wanda Jesus out there in Havel doing big things with the kids, man. I appreciate what you guys are doing, man. It's hard, it's hard work, but you guys are on the front line, so I salute you guys. I also want to give a shout out to Joseph Toot Bennett, another friend of mine who, who's doing big things out with an organization called Yard Time Entertainment. He's on the front lines in gangs of Boston. He's pulling kids out of gangs. He's diverting them, and yeah, he's just doing big things. He also has a men's mental health group. Um, when men um, go in and be able to talk about things that men regularly don't talk about. Um, it's like a Me Too movement when you're there, you hear something, you say, yeah, it happened to Me Too, right? I just salute you too, brother, for what you're doing out there. Um, and like I said, I have a good show. I have two special guests. Um, um, what can I say about you guys, right? Um, you know, you guys have me on, on your show, your podcast, Aaron Addiction. Um, I really enjoyed that, um, being able to speak to you guys and having that freedom to to talk real, you know what I mean? Just to be able to say what I need to say. You guys gave me the time, so now I'm going to give you guys time. Um, to my left, I have Lisa Blanchett, Chief Clinical Officer, overseeing all clinical services, policies, and planning for Spectrum Health Systems. And right next to her, I have JC, Jesse Chason. I, I messed it up in the beginning. A clinical supervisor at Spectrum Detox Program in Westboro. Welcome, guys. I think that you're glad that you came. And um, could you just introduce yourself to my um, audience, please? Yeah, absolutely. First, thanks so much for having us, Daryl. We really no um, we love doing the podcast together, but we also love having stories like yours mm -hmm. on the podcast and sharing those stories of recovery. So, I um, you know, I as as Daryl said, I'm the chief clinical officer at Spectrum Health Systems. We're a large um, substance use and behavioral health organization based in Massachusetts, although we have some services in other states as well. Um, and I've been there for 24 years. 24 um, years. She's yeah. eight years old, right? Eight yeah. years she old, started yeah. when eight. she started when she was eight. <laughs> eight years old when I started. Um, and I really couldn't see myself doing, um, you know, anything, anything else. Um, and so I love to both, you know, support the programs with clinical design. I'm a licensed mental health counselor, um, you know, clinical service and curriculum, but also really connect with and share stories of recovery, which is why I've been doing the Airing Addiction podcast. Right. Um, and we really try to have our podcast have um, a perspective of both clinical, which Jesse and I can both be clinical, mm -hmm. but so also lived experience, yeah. because I think elevating that voice of lived experience is really one of the most important things you can do in sharing recovery mm -hmm. stories. Um, so with that, I'll turn it over to Jesse and let you introduce Thank you, yourself. Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. My name is Jesse Chason. I am a clinical supervisor at Spectrum's Detox program. I'm also somebody in long-term recovery. Uh, I'm also a former client of Spectrum Health Systems, so quite literally full circle. I mm -hmm. used to live on the campus, and now I don't have to anymore. That's crazy. Uh, right? <laughs> so because recovery that, works, man. <laughs> recovery does work, as, as we heard from your story. Uh, as, as I've shared uh, before I became the co-host on Airing Addiction, mm -hmm. uh, I was asked to share my own story there. 
Um, and, and I did. I remember it was my oldest daughter's birthday that day. I was mm -hmm. uh, zooming in from home right at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm. Uh, and then it's, it's been, uh, what, oh, definitely over a year that you and I have co-hosted. That you guys have been on it together? I've enjoyed yeah. every episode. Yeah. Every episode, we it's always It's a good combination, say, man. Yeah. You know, it's a good combination to have. Yeah. We, we always say, you know, the theme of hope is woven through everything. And it's not intentional, but it just comes up whenever we have somebody on, such as yourself, with a, a, a story yeah. of hope, uh, and redemption, and, and recovery, or even, you know, the pro I'm thinking of the professionals we had on as well. Yeah. And, and how they work to instill hope in the people they work with, so... I appreciate that show. I appreciate you guys having that show. Lisa, what made you want to want to get into this field in the, in the first place? What motivated you? Why you say, well, I'm just going to go do this and help these people, help these people here? Well, well, one, I'm never leaving, so I'm going to do this it for the rest, of my, the rest of my life in some way, shape, or form, I'm sure. Good. But I actually never intended to work in addiction treatment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I was working for a mental health program as an intake manager, taking admission calls. Um, and that program merged with Spectrum's um, outpatient addiction treatment programs. Um, and so I ended up taking on an intake department and then progressively higher responsibility administrative departments mm. and overseeing addiction treatment. Um, and so I really wasn't my plan. I'm, a, you know, I was planning on being a therapist, a counselor. Um, you know, actually planning on working maybe in a school. I did my wow. internship in a school, working <laughs> with adolescents, um, which I still love to do some prevention work, which we can talk a little bit about mm -hmm. today too. But, um, but I found that there's probably nothing more rewarding than seeing individuals actually work on their own recovery and seeing somebody come in either at an inpatient setting or an outpatient setting really um, you know, at, their, at the, some of their most difficult moments and mm -hmm. seeing what is possible and seeing that whole person um, just come back to life, right? They've yeah. always been that whole person um, and yeah. that substance use disorder is just a piece of that person. Mm -hmm. um, but being able to be part of that recovery journey for people, you know, some of the best people I've ever met in my life are in long-term recovery and there's so much stigma and we can talk a bit about that today. Definitely want to talk about I have it. such passion for evidence-based treatment. We can talk about you know, medications and all kinds of things today and the disease model. Um, but really, what keeps me here is that, um, is that voice of recovery. Good. Thank you. Jesse, you know, can you explain a little bit uh, about your environment, um, how you got introduced to drugs and, and where it led you? I mean, you can you sure. a little bit about that? Sure. So I uh, grew up in Revere, right outside of Boston, and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, had parents who did the best they could with what they had for myself and my one younger brother, but it was a struggle. It was a struggle early on. You know, we, we talk about socioeconomic statuses at work. We talk about, you know, different variables that play into a, a child's childhood and, and existence and, and, you know, experience. And, and certainly uh, it, it would be classified as a struggle. You know, the, the classic you know, that we hear all the time in recovery of not fitting in, of judging my insides by your outsides. Mm -hmm. Everyone else appears to have life figured out and I'm, I'm sort of on the outside looking in. And, mm -hmm. you know, those feelings manifested themselves pretty early on looking like um, authority problem, mm -hmm. uh, not like being told what to do, not fitting in no at school, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> I know, I think we can all relate to that yeah. in recovery. Um, so, you know, to, to fast forward a bit, getting introduced to alcohol at 12 and, and other, you know, progressively harder drugs throughout my teen years, um, Department of Social Services came in. I, I lived with an aunt and uncle for a few years that, again, did the best they could with what they had. 
Um, however, that struggle was just so had had such a stronghold on my soul. Mm-hmm. Looking back, I, mm-hmm. I can say that now, and th- there was nobody capable of of letting that grip ease up. Mm-hmm. So it, it didn't matter what the location was near Boston, or you know, there was some time in another state down south. But yeah, if if we want to get high, if we want to get drunk, we're gonna find what we want to find. Yeah, and if we want recovery, we're also gonna find. Recovery. We're gonna find good stuff. Let me actually. Um, I did, when I was doing research for this show, um, I went. It went back. I'm from Lowell, so I didn't know that the original, the one house challenge, the challenge house in Drake was the start of the spectrum. Can you talk about a little bit about that start until where is it like right now? I mean, it's literally my yeah, backyard. I and I'm like, how the hell did you start with one house? I will do my best to give the historical perspective. No. I will also say that we have been around for over 50 years and I am not anywhere no, no, yeah. near 50 years old. <laughs> well, as so much as you can say. I, but, but I do know a little bit. I mean, having you know been with the organization yeah. for so long is that it did start kind of with a with kind of a um, residential yeah, kind of, yeah. you know, addiction Amazing. treatment component and really, um, you know, has has grown exponentially over the years. And I was there for a really about um, almost half yeah. of that of that growth. Um, and so, you know, we really were, you know, some of the, the first to have, um, you know, certainly, um, you know, detox programs, but mm-hmm. also, um, you know, medication for addiction treatment mm-hmm. to provide methadone treatment. I want to talk um, about that. We'll talk about Lister. that after we explain all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And so we really went from an organization that kind of focused on just kind of res- residential, um, you know, addiction treatment, you know, therapeutic communities, really that focus piece, to really expanding to multiple outpatient programs, multiple inpatient programs, correctional treatment, right? So we do a lot of um, substance use programming and correctional, um, you know, programs across the country. So we are currently in Virginia and Massachusetts, but we have been um, in multiple states. I'm sad that it was early in my career when when we were in Hawaii, but we were in Hawaii for a brief time. I missed too. that yeah. somehow. Well, it'll get high not too clinical officer at that time. Yeah, it was a little bit sad, but we've been in multiple states yeah. doing correctional treatment, really focused on meeting individuals kind of where they are and providing whatever the needed services, mm. right? So if it's somebody in a correctional environment that needs substance use programming, if it's somebody who needs medication, right, really responding with evidence-based treatment, right? Mm. And so what that does is that that grows. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I started at Spectrum, we had three outpatient programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, was, I started an outpatient, so that's probably the breadth of my knowledge, <laughs> really, because that's where I spent okay. a lot of my career at Spectrum. Um, but we now have 16 outpatient wow. programs, 15 of which are opioid yeah. treatment programs, providing methadone treatment, really responding to the, the opioid crisis. Um, because we know that you know, we can help. Right, um, we're a nonprofit. We're really just focused completely on where is there a need? How can we reduce barriers? And how can we help? Um, you know, and we continue to grow and evolve um, as we need to. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, now I respect Spectrum. I mean, it's been in my life for like 14 years, off and mm-hmm. on. It's just um, the peer programs, and yes. you know, I have you know, I have big respect. When I first, I think I went to the detox. First, I didn't like it. I didn't want to go because I just didn't want to go. But, you know, after being there and going to the Pitt Center and being, I kind of like know that you guys do a lot of work, man. You do have a lot of people. And I appreciate that. You know, I'm sure a lot of other people appreciate that. Let's talk a little bit about um, the detox program that you always see. Um, 
What does that look like? What goes on there? How do people get involved? And um, you know, what other services are, are there that uh, you provide? Sure, sure. So the detox program is uh, anywhere from uh, seven days. Well, detox is seven days. However, someone can stay on our campus anywhere from seven days upwards to almost a year. You know, detox, and the detox oh, no, oh, on the campus. Yeah, so gotcha, in, gotcha. in Westboro, we, like, have, <laughs> we have six <laughs> different programs, yeah. uh, various levels of care. Yeah. So if someone comes in, they, they need detox first and foremost. Gotcha. That's seven days. Uh, they we we do the most we can. We we do everything we can. Actually, and all, to, all that's on the correct. Yeah. I correct. Up there and, and talk. I didn't know they stayed. There. No, yeah. uh, we do everything we can that's to correct. get people into treatment and, and reduce any barriers mm -hmm. uh, to getting people into treatment. So we actually have two different detoxes on the campus, depending on what insurance somebody has. Uh, you don't even need insurance. Uh, we do have beds that are subsidized by the DPH Department of Public Health. Uh, and then it's my responsibility, actually, to sit down with the patient and help fill out the mass health application so they can at least leave with insurance coverage, whether mm -hmm. they stay for seven days, whether they stay for our CSS program, which is after detox, whether they go through the whole continuum of care. Uh, we have our residential programs, both men and women residential programs mm -hmm. on campus that they can stay there anywhere from three to six to nine months or mm -hmm. more, depending on the need. Uh, I am particularly fond of that residential program because that's, <laughs> that's where, where I got my right? start. Yeah. No uh, however, it's it's uh, it's changed. And, and you you with oversee the time. that now? I I oversee the detox part. Of it. Okay. That's but that's still beautiful. I mean, that's the beast of wind. And now, yeah, that's crazy. That's the flip. That's the whole, yeah. the whole one eighty. Recovery is amazing. Most definitely, good stuff. Hey, um, can we talk a little bit about the stigma? Um, or a lot of bit about the stigma. Oh, a lot of bit. I mean, talk about the whole show. Because I think that's great. Yeah. That's so many barriers on so many levels. I think yeah. these families locked in where they get, don't go out and it keeps asking from going to get help. You know what I mean? So can you talk a little bit about what the hell is going on with this and how do we, how do we fight or how do we deal with that or get the information out and get people the help they need? That yeah. barrier is crazy. It really is. Yeah, stigma is really internalized shame, right? Mm -hmm. On yeah. the the, pat, the part of an individual with <clears throat> substance use disorder, a family that has substance use disorder in their in their family, a community that has it, right? Mm -hmm. So whenever we're afraid that we're going to be judged, right, that it really can create yeah. stigma. Um, yeah. And so I think it's really a lack of awareness about what addiction really is that creates that stigma, okay. right? That's the it's the belief that has been in existence for a long time but really isn't true in that addiction is a moral failing like that it's yeah. it's it's really because somebody made moral choices to go down a path and doesn't care about themselves or others and there's something inherently wrong with them um, that creates this stigma and really we know you know and we've we've done a lot of kind of research about understanding addiction more and how it presents in the body how it presents in the brain is that it's really a chronic brain disease yeah. and so it takes a while for culture to change, right? It yeah. takes a while for the broader up, right? communities to understand. <laughs> but I think we're starting to break that down a bit because of the opioid crisis, because of the prevalence of addiction. The pandemic certainly has not helped this, right? We all know someone, regardless of where you are in life, you know somebody who has a substance Thank use you. disorder. That's how I look. Thank and, you. <laughs> and if you don't think you do, believe me, you do, right? Yeah. Um, and 
you know, I think the more we all recognize that it touches us all, the more we can start to recognize that this, that, that somebody with a substance use disorder is just somebody with a substance use disorder. They are not their disorder. So we really try to work on language to shift that, right? So you won't ever hear me use labels um, wow. when talking about somebody, yeah. right? Because it's, it's, it's so much, there's so much more than that. We don't, you know, we don't walk around in our general lives and say, I don't, I, so I have asthma, right? My, for, my full disclosure <laughs> for the moment, yeah. my lived experience I'll talk about right now is with asthma and I'm a terrible asthmatic. So don't ask me about whether I stay on my controlled medications because I don't, no, you know, I run a, without my inhaler. I do all the things you're not supposed to do, <laughs> but I don't introduce myself in spaces as, Hi, I'm Lisa, and I'm an asthmatic, you know, um, and I don't label myself in that way. Yeah. Like, asthma is something I have to deal with, and it's something that I need gotcha. to manage my own recovery for, but, um, but it's, not, it's only a part of me, um, and it's not the whole person, right? So um, between that understanding of kind of really taking account the whole person and everything that they bring to the table, including their strengths that brought them to recovery, right? Because some of the most resilient strong people that I've ever met have come through some really challenging times. Um, you know, it is, that's, what, that's what we're gonna need to do to combat that stigma, right? Recognizing that it's not a moral failing, a choice, and it's not anything inherently bad about someone. So you think it's not just the time, or you just, I mean, you, it's not, it's just a matter of time that we have to wait for the shift or the world to catch up but to what's going on? But I think we have to on. actively do that, right? Like, we have to push back on it. We have to change language when we hear it. Yeah. We have to provide education, even to those in recovery, right? Um, but of course, to their families, to individuals who might want to employ someone, yeah. right? And are afraid to, yeah. right? But like any chronic disease, relapse is possible, right? And mm -hmm. so I like to use return to use versus, versus wow. relapse, but, um, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's possible, right? With any kind of chronic disease and it's, and it's okay that that's part, that sometimes that that happens and we can't be afraid to support someone because of that wow. potential, yeah. right? Because on the other side, we also know it's always possible to get back into recovery. Yeah. Let me ask right. you, you just said that and it changed the relapse in 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 um in the program is looked at like a real terrible negative thing. Return to use doesn't seem too harsh. Yeah. Correct. Right. So that's what the language changes because we you know, he relapse. Ooh, right. And I don't know if you want to talk to that, Jesse, but I have some thoughts. Now I think any supportive program, regardless of what it is, is a supportive program. If in whatever your recovery pathway is, I fully that's accept why it. That's why I was gonna ask But that the question, things yeah. that I worry about sometimes with even stigma within the recovery community is the counting down. And then if you have a return to use, then that clock starts at zero again. And you feel like you've lost all that time. No. When the reality of it is, and you all know this, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. From, from your own journeys, I'm sure, every single time that you've gotten back into recovery, you held on to things you learned. Yeah, you right? don't lose anything. You didn't but the lose day. it. You right. didn't lose That's it. That's not really the foundation. It's not the foundation. It's the information and education. You're right. Yes. And you. And here's the funny thing. Athena came and she said that. Said that to me. I mean, she was like, "Yeah," because things were going on. And so, she, anyway, she said um, she hasn't lost the education, the, the information, yes. the day change. But what happens is because we do count. And I used to keep me out. 
Lisa, when people, when I used, would relapse or return to use and go back around, I'm like, I don't want to deal with it because everybody had 20 years, 30 years, and they were throwing that at me. I'm like, yeah, I just needed a day, right? And then I heard a statement that says, too many people got too many years and not enough days. I was and just it thinking. brought it back around to me. Yeah. It brought it back around to me. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's dope. Can you, um, let me ask you, just um, once an addict, always an addict? Of course. Uh, but what to, is the difference? Yeah, to, you, to the point that we're talking about stigma and, and shame, and uh -huh. I don't even say guilt, too. Wow, that was, uh, that was nice. Yeah. Once an addict, always an addict in the, in the topic that, you know, I, I know that I'll never hit a certain date or time or amount of years. We talked about time, amount of years away where I could go drink in safety or mm -hmm. I could just use a little bit of illicit drugs sometimes on the weekends. I, I know that that, you know, my, my call it a personality, addictive personality, call it, you know, uh, genetic, call it environmental. I personally believe it's a mixture of all three of those things mm -hmm. and even more. However, I know that there's never going to be that magic time where I'll, I'll be, you know, returned to sanity where I can go out and have a glass of wine with a nice meal. Uh, so it, in, in that sense, once an addict, always an addict. However, I'm more than an addict. I'm more than somebody with a substance use disorder. I have many other titles. I have many other roles and responsibilities. Mm. So it, it's not so much looking at life through the lens that, you know, oh, I'm just an addict. When I hear that, I correct that too. Yeah. From people in recovery, wow. oh, I'm just an I can't possibly do that. My thought is, why not? Right? We, Lisa mentioned resilience, and, and I know your story a little bit, Daryl, from doing <laughs> a couple events with you, and I know that resilience is a big part of it. And I certainly can identify that with myself too. So why not do X? Why not do Y? You know, the the worst that can happen is somebody says no or you, or you come up against a roadblock and then, you know, you, you found a solution around it. Uh, I heard a statistic yesterday wow. and I was blown away and I had to look it up because I, I didn't really believe the source. However, um, I, I found some, some credible websites that 4% of formerly incarcerated people have a bachelor's degree. Yeah. 4%. Mm -hmm. I got a bachelor's degree a few years ago. Now, that was a huge accomplishment for me, but I never realized I was one of 4%. This May, God willing, I'll graduate with my master's. I don't know what percent that is. However, I, I, I know that they're not just popping up everywhere. I know that, you know, this has been a, a long time coming. This has been a, a three-year program to continue and persevere. I didn't think any of that was possible when I showed up at Spectrum's doorstep on parole, having all these legal involvements, a lot of supports that I just burned the bridges of. So, so yes, once an addict, always an addict. However, it, it looks different in different areas of life, and it certainly doesn't have to be a negative connotation. Can if I, anything, it can, can be I a positive. Some sure. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Do your thing. Thanks, so, Jess. Thank you, bro. So what what I would say is that person first language, right? So um, person with a substance use disorder, person in active addiction, person in long term recovery, right? So 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 Jesse, for you, you would probably you know, identify yourself, and you correct me because it's your identification, right? As one of the things about you is a person in long-term recovery, a student, you know, an employee, a husband, a parent, mm. 
right? Like Correct, all correct. It, all of those things are connected, but so are all of our identities, right? Mm. So are all of our roles and identities, they're connected, but there's not one that overshadows the rest, right? So uh, why do we do that? Why do we allow that to overshadow? When, like the father and all that St stuff. Internalized stigma, I think. Self-stigmatizing the way that the field has evolved, right? And in well-meaning, right? Like I think a lot of supportive practices were there to keep things front of mind for folks so that they could stay a person in long-term recovery, <laughs> right? Like I don't think there's anything nefarious about how we got here with some of that language. I just think it's time for us to shift that a yeah. little bit um, so that we can take kind of full ownership of everything that we are um, and not and not let that take over all of it, right? So, you know, I mean, th there's things that have happened in your life, Daryl, that have led to all of your identities, person yeah. in recovery, recovery advocate, right? Because yeah. you're passionate about it. Yeah. But we both wear that hat, recovery Most advocate, definitely. right? We right. wear it from different perspectives, but we both have that. Yeah. You know, um, and me being a clinician doesn't kind of take over my role in that. Like I have some clinical knowledge, you yeah. know, I have some of some of that. Um, but actually the things that I've encountered, the people I've met, the work that I've done is what made me a recovery advocate. Right. Yeah. Not the degree, not so the, the language, mental health counselor. Yes, yeah, so language is a crazy barrier, though, right? Because you said some things um, that makes me think even, you know, sitting here, think different, like. Maybe it is my, a lot to do with my language, the self-talk, the stuff I hear, you know, in programs and, and meetings and a lot of stuff. And I hear and you take those on and people have this this certain conversation you have, you know, when you're in recovery. And even if you're not really doing the work, but you pick up that lingo, right? That stuff kind of feeds the disease, man. Once, I, once you guys are kind of saying that, it makes it like, that feeds the disease. But what that language you're talking about, would feed recovery, right? Yeah. To feed the process. I think and you're right. There is a there is a lot of crazy language, um, of running around the halls, running around, the, yeah, in the programs, running around the program itself. And when you think about like addict, imagine calling this, and I didn't know that was abusive. Yeah, I'm kind of looking at that now, like, yeah, that's abusive. I'm way more than that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Even at your worst, you're even way more than that. You know what I mean? Or you're always more, been way more. Yeah, than that's what I'm saying. Always so been. I, but yeah, you don't think like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't think like that. So let me ask you a question, Jesse. Um, what is the most? What is the one thing that you do continuously that keeps you in recovery? One thing. Wow. Uh, or more things a, or whatever. But I just say if we're trying to give somebody a jewel. What would be like the one, if you were talking to somebody right there and they were sitting there and they starting 90 days or whatever and they just want to find some real jewels, what would you give them? I, I would say one big jewel is to find your tribe, whatever mm -hmm. that looks like for you, whether it be mutual aid meetings like AA or NA, whether that be going to the gym, whether that be spirituality, practiced religion, or however that plays mm -hmm. out in your life and belief system or something else. Find your tribe, be around like-minded individuals to stay accountable. So to answer your question directly, I don't do just one thing. I, I have a blend of a, a few different My things. Brother, talk about it. <laughs> like, uh, Spectrum introduced me to Alcoholics Anonymous and 12-step recovery. So I, I still do that. Mm -hmm. I, I engage with a sponsor, a mentor. I sponsor other men as, as that role in their life, and that keeps me accountable to them. 
I, I go to church. Spectrum reintroduced me to spirituality when a, a, a church came in and did a spirituality group when I was on campus as a client. Mm-hmm. And even though I don't go to that same church, the, the message is still the same. Mm-hmm. And there, there certainly is a huge correlation between what I hear at a Sunday morning in a sermon and what I hear for the rest of the week, usually in a church basement somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Just because there's cheap rent, right? That, that's really, if, if anyone's watching this and thinking, oh, I'm not going to go to meetings because that's a church thing. Usually it's a very practical reason that, you know, a meeting that size, they just have cheap rent, right? I, I know my home group, it would cost thousands of dollars to, to buy like a rent at night yeah. to Columbus or something for us. So we, we pay a very reasonable sum to a church in Worcester and, and that's, that's how it works. So, you know, spirituality in, in all aspects of that, whether that be a 12 step meeting, whether that be a, a, a practiced organized religion, whether that be driving over here today, yeah. saying a little prayer in the car. On the way over here, just, you know, direct my thoughts, guide me, give me the words that you want to say. Uh, Because really, yes, there is a lot of work, as you know, that goes into being somebody in recovery. Mm -hmm. But there's also a lot of sources we can tap into for help. And many of us, not all, but many of us practice some type of higher power connection where I know I credit my higher power that I call God Mm -hmm. with with many areas of my life that, that I wouldn't be able to overcome the, the obstacles or the barriers or, you know, the, the stigma. I've, I've certainly, you know, come across that as somebody in recovery as well. Uh, and and I, I wouldn't be the same person sitting here talking to you today without that connection to a higher power. Cool. Thank and you very often much. And we'll say that in treatment too, like that it, spirituality is anything that makes you feel like you're part of something bigger than you. As long as it's not you, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that could be religion. It could be a higher power. It could be nature, right? Yeah. It could be, you know, mindfulness meditation that connects you to kind of the connection across the world. Like it could be any number of things. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be one way. And I think that, I, I know you probably have questions to ask, but I kind of want to take us took, in a direction that away. Good, good, good. of, um, good. You know, when when I hear Jesse talk, it really um, makes me think about kind of the movement that is changing the way we talk about addiction and recovery and what treatment looks like. And that's really kind of the the, multiple pathways to recovery and accepting all pathways to recovery is valid and that everybody just needs to find their own pathway. So I think you described that beautifully when you said, you know, we, I, you need to find your own yeah. tribe, right? And, and that's like your own community, your own connection, your own pathway. What are you going to do for yourself internally? What are you going to do in your routines? What are you going to do? What are the things that, you know, that sustain you, right? And we all could, we all could benefit from having that, like a full multi-dimensional kind of wellness plan that develops your recovery pathway, mm-hmm. you know, and that could include for some folks, it could include medications, mm-hmm. right? And that's another language shift we need to make. Instead of saying medication assisted recovery, we just say medication for addiction recovery, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't say, you know, that I'm, a, I'm in, on a, you know, like inhaler assisted asthmatic recovery, <laughs> right? Like nobody <laughs> yeah, cares that, that I have four inhalers nothing. in my bag because I'm a not a great asthmatic, right? Wow. Like that's just something I need to have with me in case, 
you know, I run into an allergen or I have an allergy attack or, you know, yeah. and if I go for a run without it, it's not going to be good. But you're not stigmatized right? by carrying that. Yeah. And so I think we need to shift that language. Yeah. That's just part of somebody's recovery pathways, part of their treatment plan for as, however long they need that, however long they want that, however long it makes sense for them. Cool. Let me ask you something. Um, can we talk a little bit more about the, uh, oh my God, I'm going to blow this. The medically, the medically medication for addiction treatment. Medication so we, you for know, addiction if we're going to use the like acronym, that. that's the words we should use. We can also say medications for opioid use disorder or medications for alcohol use disorder, um, because that's just describing what they are, I, right? Yeah, when when because you go to some meetings, some places, or you go to some place, yet people say yeah, they're not clean, yeah, right? Um, and I thought like that for years too. You know, like no, if you're on this, if you're on that, if you're on that, then. You can't count clean time. And there's, I know people that actually don't count clean time. Or don't, not that they should, but don't think that they're actually clean. Yeah, can so you explain a little bit about that? And why do we have, another question, why do we have MATs? And please, can you can explain after or whatever more about the pathways, just how that they're acceptable? And because we have that to center now, almost there. All recovery meetings. All recovery meetings, mm -hmm. right? I love that. And that was something new that. Yeah, it was just, it's just new. And to be able to guide people, I think that's more inclusive. Like, I don't have to do this 90-day, whatever this guy says. I can do that, but then I can add this, and like have a buffet, you know what I mean, like I said before. I think that's freeing. It's more liberating, right? I don't have this pressure. I can just go. Right. Can, you talk, can you guys talk a little bit about yeah. So I'll start with the medication piece, and then I'll let Jesse talk about kind of the multiple pathways. Um, you know, so medication's been around for decades. Um, so this is not new, but I think our acceptance of it is starting to become, you know, more widely accepted with things like centers having all recovery meetings, concepts of you're in recovery when you say you are. Um, and I just think that's just such a wonderful concept because why do I get to decide what your version of recovery looks like? Um, you know, you don't get to decide what my wellness looks like. Why do I? I get to choose that for you and <laughs> um and you know what but really you know medication's been around for a long time because they really do work and i think i think the reason why we're starting to recognize things that work now is because of how high risk it is out there okay. right so we've known that that opioids have been a challenge since the prescription you know opioid crisis kind of started right and but now it's even scarier, right? Yeah, so not only are lots of people um, impacted by opioid use disorder, but every single time somebody uses, it could be their last time yeah. and their last breath on this earth because of fentanyl. And so we need to do everything we can, use every tool in our toolbox, every evidence-based treatment out there to keep people alive so that they can get to where you two all are sitting right now no. um, in whichever way they can. And medications really do work for that, right? We know that use patterns are driven by withdrawal, right? We know that that cycle of use and withdrawal yeah. and use and withdrawal, regardless of what substance it is, really does drive how people use substances, right? The impact on the body, the impact on withdrawal, and also the brain pathways, right? You can't heal and create new brain pathways when your body is going through cycles of use and withdrawal. You just, you just can't. Mm. Your brain is still so focused on, I don't feel good, and then I feel good, and then I don't feel good, and then I feel good. And you can't develop recovery pathways in your brain. You just can't. Wow. Yeah. And so what medications you know, allow you to do is to have some stabilization in your body. 
Um, and that lets you take part in all of the other things in whatever recovery pathway you choose, mm -hmm. right? And some people will need it for a short time and some people will need it for a long time. And I see it very it similar okay to insulin. Is it okay for them to be on long time? Yeah, absolutely. Right. I see it very similar to insulin, right? Um, you know, when somebody is diabetic, right, their body does not process sugar in the same way, does not process insulin in the same way that it used to. And with type two diabetes, there's also choices that made that might have made that happen. There's also things like food and sugar addiction that might have made that happen. Um, and so somebody might need to be on insulin for the rest of their lives. And we accept that. Right, because that's we know that that their pancreas isn't working. The things that it needs something different in order to support them, um, and of course they can mitigate and reduce how much they need, you know, and whether they're dependent on it based on diet and exercise. Just like somebody in recovery can mitigate how much, you know, that 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 how big a part of their recovery pathway that medication is by all the other things that they're doing. But somebody might need to be on medications for long term because if it's working for them, if it's keeping someone stable no. when they're doing well and taking care of their family and working or volunteering or being part of their community and they're alive, I don't understand why we would take it from them. Yeah, I agree. Right? I, they're not hurting yeah, anybody. No, they're hurting. Like you said, they're there, they're available. It's making them be there. Yeah, I agree. I'm just saying, but in your head, you, you, you learn one way and now you have to say, oh man, that's not, and it's okay to say it's not, what you have, the information you have is old or it's no, just not applied. Yeah, and it's it. the same stigmas that come along with saying you, you, don't, you don't think you should have to be on a mental health medication, right? Um, you know, that it, if, if somebody needs a mental health medication, they should, they should be able to have that <laughs> yeah. medication, yeah. right? Like there's, there's changes well, he's gonna have in the brain. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and so we need to shift our focus on how we um, look at that. We need to shift our focus on how we provide access. We shouldn't ask people to prove that they're ready for treatment in general, um, you know, but certainly not prove that they're, you know, ready for medication treatment either. Cool. Thank you. Jesse, a little bit about pathways um, and of why course. we should respect all pathways. Because, you know, somebody might be listening that thought like I used to think. Just you got to do this, you got to do that, and you can't just have your own and be guided. Correct. That's so why I like the peer center. The, there's some, and I love the Pierce Center as well. I shared with the, you before we, we hit record on this. That's part of my uh, early recovery was yeah. going to a Pierce Center where I was around other people in, in my similar situation. And yeah. we, we gained strength from each other. So yeah. certainly all pathways to recovery, I like to explain it as there's no one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter approach to recovery. Mm. What works for you may not work for me specifically, may not work for somebody else, but there's some similarities, sure, However, we're all our own unique individual person mm. with different backgrounds and different experiences and different life events that made us who we are sitting in these seats today. Mm. So why would I think the same solution would like rubber stamp work for every single person? It wouldn't. No. So, so to go back to what Lisa was saying about stabilization, if somebody needs medication to stabilize them mentally or uh, however otherwise, then why would they not do it? If somebody finds a pathway to recovery that works for them and they're now a, a healthy, productive member of society, uh, showing up to their responsibilities, having some social construct in their life where they, they get a sense of self-worth or building their self-esteem by doing esteemable acts, Maybe, you know, something as simple as just going to work every day and holding a job. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, I, I look back, I, I haven't been in Spectrum 
quite as long as uh, Lisa, but I, I've been there, you know, five over five years now. Mm -hmm. This is the longest I've ever held a job. The <laughs> <laughs> longest I've ever held a job, right? There's been somewhere I'm sure I, I lasted five days or five weeks, right? Enough so, to get a check and get out. <laughs> exactly, right? If they even, yeah. you know, wanted to pay me. Yeah. If they called that work back then, right? But, you know, over five years, the longest job I've ever held, you bet there's some, there's some pride and some healthy pride, right? Not, not egotistical pride, yeah. not unhealthy, you know, making work, because we certainly can do that in recovery too, become, mm -hmm. you know, instead of an alcoholic or a drug addict, become a workaholic, right? And yep. work 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, and then my life balance is completely off because I'm not giving the time to what sustains my recovery. I'm not carving out the time in, in my day, in my week, in my month, in my everyday walking around time to, to stabilize, to engage in my pathway of recovery. And, and again, all pathways, no one size fits all cookie cutter approach. So, you know, if, if we looked at my phone, I have people from all walks of life in my phone and, and I'm getting texts and I'm getting phone calls every day, you know, from, from different, uh, people that have different jobs, different people in different life circumstances and in, in different ages, you know, from every decade of life, every life situation, kids, no kids, kids grown up, kids themselves. Yeah. And the one thing that binds us all together is we're striving for this one day of recovery. Right, because that's all it really is. I heard you say earlier, you know, some people have too many years and not enough days. Yeah. And I love that saying. I said that just yesterday at a meeting because it's true. It, yeah. it, I believe as somebody in recovery that that's the true purpose of keeping that up front, that, that I am somebody with a substance use disorder. It's not my only aspect. It's not my only yeah. attribute or, or, you know, characteristic in life. However, I need to keep that right up front. And there's certain things that I do on a daily basis to do that, whether it be engaging with the higher power through prayer and meditation, whether that be something as simple as having a coin in my pocket, mm. right, to, as a grounding technique, whether that be as simple as, you know, having certain signs, even around my own, my own home, things that are hung up that, that mean something special to me that have a deep emotional connection that when I don't even have to be focusing on them, I can, I can just glance and know, oh, okay, that's from that time in my life, and that's what that means, and this is how this benefits my recovery. Mm -hmm. So certainly, if, if there's something that works for somebody, and you're getting some benefit from it, your, your life is starting to come into focus again in terms of, you know, outside responsibilities, or, or even just, you know, let's start at the very beginning, like you can get out of bed every day. <laughs> there was a time in my life where just getting out of bed was a struggle. Right. So you're getting out of bed, you're, you're taking care of your, yourself physically, right? You're taking care of yourself emotionally. You're starting to contribute to life and, and feeling good around, you know, being around other people and doing certain things. Then, then please, for your own sake, start, you know, continue to, to focus on that, continue to pour effort and, and motivation into that. And, and uh, the last thing I'll say about this, because I can talk for hours about yeah. this as well, is that, you know, it's a, it's a comforting fact to me that my perspective is there are so many resources for myself, for Daryl, for anyone listening that's in recovery from substance abuse disorder. I don't think there's enough time for me on this earth to try every resource. Mm. I wanna wow. try a lot of them, 
but I don't think there's enough time to, to do everything. And that's, com that's not a morbid thought. That's just a comforting thought to me to know that there is so much help out there. There are so many different programs. You, you gave a shout out to two of them before we yeah. started here. Yeah. And now I have two more resources to look into <laughs> and say, what are they doing with that, right? Yeah. So the, the help's out there. Yeah. You know, if something, if something doesn't work, that's okay. Try something else. You're going to find something that works for you. Cool. Thank you, Justin. And so, um, I want to give you guys, you guys are going to have to come back. You know, <laughs> no, because I knew we were going to talk. We just, we just, you know, it's just like that. I knew that when I was on your show, I was like, we could just conversation. But I wanted to give you um, three or four minutes to do your, your last minute, talk to, say whatever you want to say. The camera's yours. And same with Jesse. And um, yeah, and we'll just figure out whenever you guys want to come back and we'll do a part two. I'm going to let put this part one and just leave it open. Yeah. So we can, you know, continue, and if you're welcome to come in anytime you want, I just want you guys to know that. So I can I can talk all day as well. <laughs> so we're happy to come back for for part two. But you know, I imagine anybody you know watching this show now has some connection either themselves um, with with addiction or their loved one or their family member. Right? They have some interest and some care in this space. Um, and you know, the thing that I just try to put out both in my clinical work and my programming on the podcast and and in my personal life as I walk around the world is that every single person has inherent worth um, and is worth being here. And so if there's anything that we can do to support someone, you know, whether that be at Spectrum or New England Recovery Center or, you know, personally or make connections, um, you know, or just help, you know, we, we're here to do that, right? We support families um, on actually tonight, Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday night. Just in an hour or so, whatever yeah, time it is. Yeah, at, uh, at 6 p.m. we run a family support group to try to combat that stigma. So maybe we can spend a little time talking about that in the next time. Yeah. Um, you know, but if folks are interested in getting more information about those family support groups, they can go to Magnolia we'll, at Spectrum we'll, Health we'll Systems. We'll put it up at the end of the show, yeah, so we'll write it down. So and you can put, we'll perfect. Put it up there, yeah. And you'll get the links forever, um, and, and, and you can join. Yeah. You know, but but really, you know, they're, they're, like Jesse said, I think it's a great segue into it. There is help out there, and we are here to help. Um, and everybody is worth that help, and as many times as they need it they need it and that's okay thank you and i want to thank you guys for never giving up on me your inspection like i said it's been 14 years in and out just craziness and i'm still there you know what i mean mm -hmm. and i've never been judged and if i have i don't know you know what i mean so jesse daryl i just wanted to thank you for having us no, on the show coming, this is man. an amazing resource we talked about yeah. resources this is an amazing resource what you're doing here the people that you're interviewing the the message of hope Right. right there's that word again we always mm -hmm. talk about on our podcast That's getting like the, the hope out <laughs> and, and i've heard that hope stands for hearing other people's experience thank you i gotta do something new too <laughs> there you go so if, if if anything that i can leave anybody with that's hope. watching this or or listening to this is is just that hope right h-o-p-e hearing other people's experience we've shared our experience here from a few different lenses from a few different perspectives mm -hmm. however everyone has their own experience Right. So so whatever that may be for you, just know that recovery is possible in your specific situation, in your specific life circumstance, wh whatever it may be, that there's somebody that has been in a similar situation to you. Because I used to think I was very unique and different 
when I showed up on the doorstep of Spectrum. Turns out I'm unique and different just like everyone else. Yeah. Right? And, and I'm not too unique and different. Yeah. So, so that's just to say that there, there's somebody that is you know, on the other side of what you're going through right now that can help you by showing you how they got there and also that you can help them because I, I now see the benefit in being a mentor or a sponsor to other men in recovery. And sometimes they teach me more than I think I teach them just about keeping it up front and how much mm -hmm. recovery is important. And, and also, uh, I think the last thing I'll say here, at least on, on part one, is that we can do whatever we want in recovery. We can do whatever we want in life, providing that we have a solid foundation of recovery underneath us. I've seen so many near possible situations become possible to know that whatever, you know, we're sitting here on a TV set. I don't think you thought of this. Never. <laughs> never, right? I, I never uh, aspired to be a podcast co-host, no right? Uh, and on and on and on. So, so whatever that dream is, it's, it's not too late. Whatever that motivation is, you can do this. It's just a matter of putting in the work and getting the support that you need. So. Thank you so much, Daryl, for having us. No, thank you guys, man. I, we, we can go on, you know, these kids got to be picked up at five. It's like crazy, right? But so, uh, no, yeah, because I usually go on. I didn't have that problem last week. <laughs> but anyways, thank you guys for coming, man. I, I thank you guys for sharing. I definitely want to do the part you um, and talk about other things because we, you do have a lot. And, you, and I think the people need to hear that. So I appreciate you guys coming. Um, check them out on Air and Addiction. Um, this wherever you get podcasts. Wherever you get podcasts. <laughs> That's Lisa and Jesse. Check them out. I was on that show. Um, loved it. And um, I'd like to give a shout out to the people that make this show happen. Um, Alex, Matt, Mike, and Ryan. I appreciate you guys. Without you, um, this show wouldn't be able to go on. And um, you guys keep me committed because you guys are committed. And I appreciate that. Um, I want to give a shout out to Spectrum. Thank you, um, like I said, for the peer center. I love my peer center. Um, we got a connection. We, we just did the, um, the PSA. We finished it. We, we, get, um, we released it, right? It's released on social media. Okay, it's already released, so you guys can look at it. I'll put them on my, my Facebook. Um, and I thank everybody from the peer center that you know got involved and um, helped me get that done. Um, and in closing, I just want to say I, I love you to my daughter, Taisha, Zayla, and Dad. Peace. <laughs>